0: The Bible describes Gideon as a timid man, a man who considered himself to be the lowliest within his clan, a clan that was the weakest of the 12 tribes. But despite these apparent shortcomings, during a time of poverty, during a time of persecution, during a time Of powerlessness. Gideon was called by God to be a judge. He was called to be a leader for his people. But if we want to know why it was necessary for God to call him, then we need to explore what was happening back then a little more closely. Although Moses led the people out of Egypt, it was Joshua who brought them to the promised land. But after Joshua died, Israel's promise of obedience to the Lord was broken once again. And as a result, things were not going well for the Israelites. Having settled in Canaan, it hadn't taken them long to forget about God's goodness. And many had turned their backs on him and had taken to worshipping the Canaanite God Baal. So just as he had warned them, God withheld his protection, and as a consequence, the people suffered at the hands of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other tribes from the East. For seven long years, hordes of Bedouin nomads poured in from the surrounding deserts and harassed the farming communities. And with the ferocity of a swarm of locusts, they destroyed everything in their path, stole the crops, and made off with the livestock. And it was only when the people of Israel were almost at breaking point that they finally came to their senses. It was only then that they finally saw the error of their ways and cried out to God for help. And because God heard their cry, he responded. The first thing God did was to send them a prophet. And the prophet told the people that they only had themselves to blame. And he reminded them of all that God had done for them. Was it not God who had brought them out of Egypt? Was it not God who had conquered their enemies in Canaan? And was it not God who warned them about the consequences of worshipping false gods, a warning which they ignored to their peril? The second thing God did was to send an angel to secure the services of a very reluctant hero, a man called Gideon. Now, ordinary people can do extraordinary things, and they often do. People like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, pioneers of the civil rights movement, or Malala Yousavzai, an activist for the education of girls, or Magnus McFarlane Barrow, co-founder of Mary's Meals, or Maggie Jenks, founder of Maggie's Place. These are all ordinary people who have done extraordinary things. And they are an inspiration to us all. And Gideon was, by his own admission, just an ordinary man. And this is Gideon's story. Although many of his kinsmen decided to take to the hills to hide from the invading Bedouin tribesmen, Gideon stayed put. And he kept himself very much to himself on his father's farm. He was also shrewd enough to hide his crops from the invaders and would probably have continued to live quietly like that had God not intervened. An angel, a messenger from God, appeared one day and told Gideon that he had been chosen by God to save his people, and that God would be with him, that God would support him. But when Gideon heard this, rather than rising to the occasion, he crumbled. He fell apart. Perhaps this was due to his sense of being ordinary. Perhaps it was because he came from a humble background. Or perhaps it was because he was aware that he hadn't distinguished himself in any noticeable way. And so he offered one excuse after another as to why he wasn't a suitable choice and wouldn't be up to the task. But God wouldn't take no for an answer. God didn't give up on Gideon. And to get him on side, God even agreed to perform two miracles, with a fleece. And the upshot was that Gideon asked no more questions but devised a plan of action which he embarked upon. Firstly, he took a stand against the worship of Baal. Worshiping this false god had spread like a plague. It had infected his hometown and disappointingly, hadn't spared his own family. So Gideon's first move was to overturn an altar to Baal that his father had erected and then replace it with one to God on which he sacrificed a bullock. Secondly, using a cunning plan, he attacked his enemies by night with a carefully selected group of fighters numbering only 300 and drove the Midianites and the other tribes headlong from the land, pursuing them beyond the Jordan River. And thirdly, after his victory, when the men of Israel begged him to be their king, he refused, and he refused with the following words, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you, the Lord will rule over you. How many people back then, or even today, Would have acted with such integrity? I wonder. When I read today's Old Testament text, one verse in particular stood out. It's the verse where God calls Gideon to action. And it's important because there are a number of different translations out there. And I think that some of them can be quite misleading. In the New International Version, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. The Good News says, The Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon. The New Revised Standard Version says, The Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. And the Voice says, The Spirit of the Eternal touched Gideon but the original Hebrew actually says, the spirit of Yahweh clothed Gideon. And that is altogether different. The usual and more familiar translations give us the impression that God takes Gideon over, that God leaves Gideon no choice, that God forces Gideon into a course of action over which he has no control. But Gideon is not a puppet. Gideon was not an automaton, and neither are we. We are not taken over by God. God doesn't turn us into unthinking, empty and blind vessels. That is not how God works. The decisions that Gideon made were always his, and the decisions that we make are always ours. And this means that we have to take full responsibility for our decisions and for our actions. Because when something goes wrong, as it often does, we can't simply dodge the issue evade responsibility and imply that it's God's will or that it's God's fault. We have to acknowledge and accept our own mistakes. What the Spirit does is that it awakens and stirs our conscience by holding up a challenge directly in front of our eyes. And if we are receptive then the Spirit clothes us, which means the Spirit is with us, both inside and out. The Spirit doesn't inhibit us. It doesn't impede us. Instead, by working with and through our own personalities, the Spirit actually allows us to take the initiative. God's love and respect for each one of us allows us to be who and what we are. And the good news is that on our journey of self-discovery, we find ourselves liberated and energized by the knowledge that our personalities are free to develop in Christ. But there is a quid pro quo. And that is that although we are not in any way constrained. Our behaviour must be such that it allows the spirit freedom of expression through us. And when we accept that, there's more good news, because this leads to our realisation that reflection, carefully balanced by our outward action, is an invaluable means of personal growth and progress. In difficult times, like those that we face now, it's utterly wrong to look upon hardship as some kind of divine punishment. What we should do instead is use the opportunity to serve God by helping others. We must always remember that as ordinary people, like Gideon, we too can do extraordinary things when God is with us.